0: From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. The Liberal Party has spent years blocking the country from taking serious action on climate change. But now, in New South Wales, one minister is pushing through ambitious environmental policy. Matt Keane is steering his state to a zero-carbon future, He's managed to unite the Nationals and the Greens, though he's made some enemies along the way. Today, national correspondent for the Saturday paper, Mike Seckham, talks to the Liberal Minister forcing action on climate change. Mike, Matt Keane became the New South Wales Environment Minister last year. You sat down with him for an interview. Can you tell me what do you think is driving him?
1: Yeah, we we had quite a long interview via Zoom um, uh, where, you know, I I was working from home and he was in an office um, at his desk, quite animated. Hi, Mike. Hey, how are you?
2: Mate, I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for your time.
1: He had on the wall behind him a picture of one of his political heroes, um, the a Democratic president, John F. Kennedy. Hey, I can actually see you. I thought we were doing audio <laughs> only. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> mate, I look
2: much better over the phone, I promise you.
1: <laughs> anyway, um, thank you for making the time. No,
2: it's a pleasure, mate. It's a great honour. I've followed your career for years and, um, mate, it's a great opportunity to speak to you now at the Saturday paper.
1: The first thing that he was telling me was that concern for the environment sort of came down from his parents.
2: I mean, I grew up in Northern City. People live in this area because they love the bush, they love the national park. Uh, they love the environment. So my parents, my family home, backed onto the national park.
1: The family home was in Sydney's northern suburbs, and it backed onto national park. His parents took him the family bushwalking often on holidays. Interestingly enough, his father was also um, a guy who'd risen through the ranks of the energy sector. You know, starting out as a clerk, ending up as an executive uh, with Energy Australia.
2: You know, it was my dad that was the generation that helped build our state based on coal, and you know, it's. Interesting to see the next generation, the son of someone that was in that industry, that coal industry that powered our economy, is handing over the baton to a new generation that is...
1: And uh, he told me he was very excited about taking the job, but at the same time, he said, he was filled with trepidation. But was it something you you, you know really had your sights set on or is it something that just fell to you?
2: Well, Mike, I think I must have upset the Premier. (laughs) Uh, When she told me that I was going to be the Minister for Energy and Environment, I thought, what have I done? Um, You know, this is a very contested space in Australian politics. Uh, It's brought down three Prime Ministers. It's, you know, torn down governments. Um, So I was sort of, um, you know, whilst excited about the role, uh, I was also filled with trepidation.
1: He expected reasonably enough that... um the people who had torn down governments and torn down political leaders um, over this subject would probably go after him too. And that means, you know, some of his fellow Liberals and Nationals, the vested interests in the fossil fuel sector and reactionary sections of the media, particularly the Murdoch media, they would come after him too. And and I might say they have. But, you know, nonetheless, um, he took the role quite determined to um, to do what he could.
2: So when I came into the role, I really wanted to fly the flag for the brand of liberalism that I, I believed in and that uh, I felt uh, that my community uh, supported. And that's exactly what I've been trying to do.
0: OK, so let's talk about what he's doing, what he's done since becoming Environment Minister.
1: Well, he has a clean energy roadmap, uh, so-called, and he's implementing it. Um, the reason they're having to intervene in the market,
2: uh, Mike, is because there hasn't been the market signals and regulatory settings that will encourage the private sector to build the infrastructure that we need. That's exactly what our energy roadmap sets out to do, uh, provide the private sector with uh, the playing field that they need to be able to invest with
1: confidence. At the end of last month, he put some legislation through the state parliament in support of this this roadmap, and the plan is to build 12 gigawatts of large-scale renewable energy generation. That's roughly as much as currently exists in the whole of Australia. And the modelling um, anticipates that this will attract $32 billion in private investment, that it will create some 6,000 jobs during the construction phase, nearly 3,000 ongoing operational jobs, mostly in regional areas, and importantly, will cut power bills by hundreds of dollars for households and businesses. So, you know, it seems like a, a win on all fronts. He got it through Parliament. It took, it took a while. <laughs> More than 30 continuous hours of debate in the state's upper house. The Legislative Council sat overnight, spending most of the time debating the government's renewable energy legislation. But the interesting thing is that it made no dent at all in the multi-partisan support that Keenan had brought together in support of the package. The Greens voted for it. So did Fred Nile of the the Christian Democrats, who's you know at the opposite end of the ideological spectrum. All the left leaning minor parties and in independents did, and importantly, the Labor Party did. So, um, so he got this grand coalition together, which was interesting. And you know, of course, getting the the Nationals in particular on board was um, a big achievement. You know, in in coming on board, they essentially endorsed Keen's view that there is nothing radical about taking strong action in response to climate change. You know, that it's not just an environmental imperative, but it's also an economic imperative. You know, it doesn't conflict with the tenets of political conservatism, quite the opposite. In fact, you know, he says that conservatism means conserving that which is important. Uh, Not in
2: spite of the fact I'm a conservative, but because I'm a conservative, I'm looking to protect our environment because I believe that conservatives have an obligation to hand our planet to our kids. Uh, better than we found it. And, um, you know, that's in line with conservative governments in the UK. Uh, The the Merkel government in Germany, another conservative example.
1: uh, Of course, you know, others see conservatism as meaning something different, you know, which is protecting existing power structures and vested interests. And that conflicting view, I think, of what conservatism entails is what has brought him into collision, I guess you would call it, with the, the current federal government.
0: Let's talk a bit more about that, Mike. How has Matt Keane come into conflict with the federal government on climate policy?
1: Well, I I think the example that makes it more clear than anything else um, happened during the last bushfire season. So, you know, the fires of Black Summer are raging out of control across eastern Australia uh, and some people started saying the scientifically obvious thing that climate change was a major factor in this, and Keane was one of those people.
2: Uh, The scientists in my department have said that uh, we're seeing more extreme weather events, we're seeing hotter summers, we're seeing uh, drier winters, we're seeing some of the worst drought conditions in living memory. Um, This is what the scientists have been warning us about for decades.
1: Speaking at an energy conference in December, he said that what was happening was, quote, exactly what the scientists have warned us would happen, which was longer, drier periods, resulting in more droughts and more dramatic bushfires. He said that if the black summer bushfires weren't a catalyst for change of policy, he didn't know what was. You cannot deny
2: that uh, more extreme weather events caused by climate change are having an effect on things like bushfire. And we need to, in denying it, uh, it stops us from taking the appropriate
1: action. Meanwhile, a number of senior conservative politicians, most notably Scott Morrison... Uh, responded by saying that that this was, quote, not the time, unquote, for saying such things. The direct connection to any single fire event, um, it's not a credible suggestion to make that link. He suggested offering prayers instead. Our main thoughts and our prayers are with those who have been so directly... But King didn't stop repeating the unpalatable truth, and on, on January 19, he went further and said that some members of the Morrison Cabinet actually favoured a stronger policy response to the climate crisis, um, including some quite conservative members of the Morrison Cabinet. And Scott Morrison came down on him like a tonne of bricks.
0: We'll be back in a moment. As a a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. Get the news you need to your inbox every weekday morning with post. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters.
1: For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending.
0: Mike, let's talk some more about the tension between the New South Wales Environment Minister, Matt Keane, and the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison. When Matt Keane started talking about climate change last bushfire season, what happened?
1: Um, Scott Morrison went in on him very hard. Matt Keane doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't know what's going on in the federal cabinet. Most of the federal cabinet wouldn't even know who Matt Keane was. It's quite implausible that most of the federal cabinet ministers wouldn't know who Keane was because, you know, he's one of the leading moderates in New South Wales. But anyway, subsequent to this particular stoush, um, we can safely say that a lot more people, including people outside New South Wales, would have known about who Matt Keane was, would have known that he was a climate realist and uh, that he was prepared to speak up in contradiction to Scott Morrison. But um, more recently, the federal government's sort of internal fossil fuel lobby, there's a handful of them, but but anyway, they they attacked Keane's energy roadmap in in the party room the last two sessions of the year. I'm not too sure... Exactly why the New South Wales government is going this way—they know they will never have to deliver on the full promise that that is out there. I think thirty-four billion. Um, even urging Morrison to pull out of a two-billion-dollar energy agreement that was struck between the feds and New South Wales earlier this year, and also calling for a new coal-fired power station to be built in the Hunter Valley.
0: Mm. And so, Mike, when you spoke to Matt Keen, what did he say about how? concerned he was about all of this, about the way in which he's coming up against people in in his own side of politics?
1: Well, uh, I've got to say he doesn't seem particularly concerned personally about the attacks on him. Didn't cop any opposition along the line from the Nats or anybody else? He seems like a fairly robust sort of a character. We can't ignore
2: those people's concerns. We can't, you know, write them off because they don't agree with us. We've got to find those areas of common ground.
1: But he's he's clearly frustrated that the federal government, you know, having no comprehensive energy plan of its own, is now sniping at him for coming up with one. My question is just about the coordination between the states and whether it's made more difficult by the, the, the fact that the feds aren't that actively engaged, or so it seems to me anyway, that the feds aren't as actively engaged as they might be. Well, I think, I think the Feds are actively engaged,
2: um, but, you know, would it be better if we had a national framework? Uh, yes, but, I mean, there's been several attempts to achieve that and it's fallen over. Now, I can't sit on my hands and wait uh, for them to find a pathway forward in Canberra. I've got a responsibility to the citizens and businesses in New South Wales.
1: In the case of New South Wales, it's particularly urgent because four of the state's big coal-fired power stations are slated to close between 2020. 20- 28 and 2035, which sounds a long way away, but, you know, it's not because there are long lead times on building this kind of infrastructure to replace it.
2: Consumers in New South Wales saw 60% increases on their bills and that was because a power station closed in Victoria uh, and we also had a less reliable system.
1: So, you know, he makes a very good point. You've got to be prepared in advance for the old generation of power plants to close down. And the first step of that, in his view to getting the necessary investment, private sector investment, is to make sure that the market signals and the settings are right and that the rules won't change every time there's a change in government or a change of leader within a government, um, you know, which, of course, is exactly what we've seen at the federal level, You know, where we had you know, quite a good climate policy under the Labor government, which was then dismantled by the Abbott government, which Malcolm Turnbull tried to restore, failed got voted out by his own party I'm a huge
2: admirer of Malcolm Turnbull I think yeah you know Malcolm Malcolm really was one of the great missed opportunities for our country um, you know because I, I just think he he was he had a brilliant mind and he had a great vision for our country but he didn't get the support he needed and or he didn't I I, I don't know what went wrong but I was determined not to repeat that mistake
1: and now we have the Morrison government, which has done not very much because there's a lot of internal resistance there. I agree entirely with you about Malcolm and his, on particularly on this subject, right? Yeah. Uh, but but he couldn't get it through. And yet you seem to have skated through effortlessly with, it, with everyone except Mark Latham. Is, is it of course, the debate's moved on. Is it because you're a particularly brilliant negotiator? I mean, what, what, is the, what is the secret of your success, mate? That's what I'm asking, I guess.
2: I'm not a brilliant negotiator. Uh, like, um, you know, I'm, I'm no Malcolm Turnbull. Uh, I'm someone that genuinely look, have been watching this, This uh, I, I want to say a shit show, but I can't say that on your program. Um,
1: well, you been, can actually, but probably you wouldn't want to.
2: I, I've, I've been watching this car crash of public policy for over a decade. And um, the key learning for me was that we need to find areas of common ground. We need to find the things that unite us if
1: we're gonna move forward. And to him, the key takeaway message was that, that we need to find areas of common ground so that we can get all major players on board to inspire that confidence that will, will take us forward. You know hence his very assiduous efforts at putting together this grand coalition that passed his bill last month.
0: Taking a step back and looking at the bigger picture, do you think that Matt Keane's actions will actually have an impact on how Australia approaches climate policy in the future?
1: Oh, for sure. I mean you know he's talking big change. Big change, and and you know I should say he and the New South Wales government are streets ahead of the feds in terms of their aspiration on climate. Um, you know the Morrison government is struggling to meet its Paris target um, of twenty six percent reduction in in greenhouse gas emissions by twenty thirty. New South Wales is on track to meet a target of thirty five percent. You know which I've got to say is not terribly ambitious by world standards, but by Australian standards, pretty big. New South Wales is also committed to a net zero target of emissions by 2050, which Morrison and co. have strenuously resisted. And, you know, I should say it's not only New South Wales. um, All the states now and territories now have net zero targets and most of them are well on the way. The laggard here is the federal government. If Australia is to make any improvement on its target in the next round of greenhouse, you know, global greenhouse reduction negotiations it will be by courtesy of the achievement of the states. And that's that's the great irony here, of course, is that even as Morrison and Taylor and the climate sceptics in the federal government snipe away, they really need Keane and the other states to make them look good on the international stage. So, um, you know, um, Matt Keane's done pretty well. And, and talking to him now, you really wouldn't credit that he took the po- portfolio with, you know, filled with trepidation, as he puts it. And his confidence... Is, is just infectious, I've got to say. I, I, I'm I'm impressed at how enthused you became as we went on. This is, this is nation-building stuff, Mike. This is about the future of our country. This is setting us up for success. This is about your... He's very animated when he talks about it.
2: Like, I, I'm really trying to be an evangelist to show other people, hey, this is what's happening.
1: He described himself to me as an evangelist, not only for the new technology, but also for a new politics in this area that you know, are not dominated by fear and division. All I can say is I only wish his federal counterparts would listen to this evangelist and catch the fire.
0: Mike, thank you so much for your time today.
1: My pleasure. Sloane Crosley is known for her funny and acerbic personal essays. But her new memoir digs much deeper to examine the loss of her best friend. Join me, Michael Williams, as I chat with Sloane about Grief is for People. Find it wherever you listen.
0: Also in the news today, the New Zealand government has agreed to establish a trans-Tasman bubble with Australia early next year. The decision would allow travel between both countries without the requirement to quarantine. The travel bubble is conditional on coronavirus cases in Australia staying low. And the wild storms lashing Queensland and northern New South Wales have been described by authorities as similar to a Category 1 cyclone. State emergency services received more than 6,000 calls for help over the weekend. The Bureau of Meteorology has warned that further storms could lead to dangerous flash flooding. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.